Welcome to the Park Church Sermon Podcast. This is the audio portion of our weekly sermon. For more resources, check the show notes or visit www.parkchurchdsm.com. We'd also like to invite you to check out our weekly podcast, Inside the Park, where we take Sunday to the weekday. Available everywhere you get podcasts. Thanks for listening. If you have a Bible with you, Matthew chapter uh, 16 or 14, excuse me, Matthew chapter 13, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 13 is where we're going to be this morning. I promise you I know where it is, Matthew chapter 13, just two verses, 44 and 45. I needed that song, I needed the reminder that there is a father that I can run to again and again and again. To be real honest with you and candid, uh, I have been in a season of dryness for the past couple of weeks. Dryness in my spiritual life with Christ, dryness in my relationship with Him, and that's a normal part of the Christian life, and it's a normal part of a pastor's life because I am a normal Christian just like you. And so in this season, I began to ask myself, what has led to this as I'm evaluating why this season of dryness? Did I become an atheist? No. I still very much believe in the things of God. I believe in Jesus Christ. And I was thinking, what is it? What is it in this particular season that has caused this dryness? And I think it was this. No, I'm not an atheist, but functionally, I became a polytheist. A polytheist meaning one who worships many different gods. And although I never raised my hands to any other god, I add Jesus to the many other things in my life. Even religious activity that I'm supposed to be doing adding Jesus in addition to those things instead of having him first. You know this if you're a Christian. You know that when God is one of many things in your life, you certainly are not thriving in your relationship with him. And oftentimes the result is dryness. And that's not the reason every time that we're dry. Sometimes the Lord just brings those things into your lives. But as I look at my and evaluate this season for me, I can tell you that's what it is. And so if you're in that season, you've been in that season, or you will be again someday, the question I want to ask us today is what do we need? What do I need in those moments? I need a reordering I need to have Jesus be above all else. And in seasons of dryness, I often pray the prayer that the psalmist did, that is David in Psalm chapter 51. After his sin, he asked the Lord, and this is what I pray, God, would you restore unto me the joy of my salvation? And so my goal for us today is for you and I to savor and see the greatness of Jesus Christ in the gospel, to have the joy of our salvation restored, or perhaps maybe for the very first time you experience the joy of being found in 
Jesus. And we'll do so by looking at two of Jesus' shortest parables. They're different encounters, but they both have the same point. And this is what I want you to see this morning. What you gain in Christ, listen to this, what you gain in Christ is far better than what you lose. What you gain in Christ is far better than what you lose. Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 and 45, Matthew writes the words of Jesus and he says this, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure buried in a field that a man found and reburied. Then in his joy, he goes and sells everything that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. Let's pray together. God in heaven, I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide us into all truth this morning, that he would take from what is yours and make it known to us. Take your word into our ears and spirit into our hearts. May we be convicted. May we be moved to be more like Jesus and to receive Jesus today for those who never have. And God, may we leave here changed and different. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So Jesus shares these parables in the midst of several other parables. Well, what's a parable, you might ask? A parable is this. It's a deceptively simple story illustrating a profound truth. It's a deceptively simple story, which means don't read too much into it. It is meant to be simple. But it shows us a very profound truth. If you were to break the word down, parable, it's two words, para, which means to throw beside. Balo actually means to throw. So parable, the word means to throw beside. And Jesus often used these illustrations to further illustrate a great truth that he was trying to get across. What truth is Jesus trying to illustrate in this text that we have this morning? I want you to see this, and Jesus wants you to see this, that discovering God's kingdom is amazing. And when I, now I realize that the kingdom of God can be a whole series in itself. The kingdom of God can be an entire 10-part message, but I want to just simplify for us this morning what Jesus is referring to here. When Jesus says the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, he means the same thing. And the kingdom of God is his rule and reign in the world through Jesus where we are his citizens. It is already in the sense of Colossians 1 verse 13 says we have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son whom he loves. Thank you God for that. Amen. He has moved us from one kingdom of the world of darkness into the kingdom of the Son whom he loves. So the kingdom of God is expanded as people enter into it through receiving the good news of Jesus. So it's already here, but it's also not yet in its fullness. Last time I checked, there's still sin and brokenness in the world, right? There's all kinds of terrible things happening from mass shootings to the selfishness in your own home. 
the kingdom of God has not yet fully been realized, but one day the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne. Death will be no more and sin will be gone, and we look forward to and wait for that day. So we live in this tension that the kingdom of God is present, and that's where we live as citizens of his kingdom, but it's not yet. So if we could say, boil it down to one thing in this passage, what is Jesus talking about here? This is what I want you to see. Discovering salvation through Jesus is incredible. That's what he wants you to see. He refers, first of all, to a treasure that is in a field. It's interesting, why is there a treasure in a field, right? You read that, we kind of think about it, we're like, if you boil it down, it's like, what, what is a treasure doing in a field? Well, back in this time, there were no banks, and often people would bury their most valuable things in the field, most especially if they were under attack from another nation, They knew that they could have their house plundered and lose everything they have. So when they knew that war was coming, they would take their most valuable things and would bury them in fields. They would mark it and knew where it was. But oftentimes, if that person was under attack, they would die and that treasure would be buried and no one would know where it was. In fact, they found some uh, archaeologists went around and doing some things uh, in the uh, Holy Land, and they found maps of people that had buried treasure all over the place that had never been discovered. And so this was a very real reality of this time period that people would have discovered and found buried treasure as they came upon it. Now imagine that you and I, when it says here, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure in the field which a man found. You're on a walk this afternoon, and you're walking through a field. I don't know. You probably aren't walking through a lot of fields, but just imagine you are. And as you're walking, you kick your foot on a rock. Now, typically, that makes you angry, right? You're mad. You're upset, and you're in pain. But you look down again, almost to kick that rock again, but then you realize, don't kick it again. Move the rock. And you look down, though, and it's a shiny little something that's sticking out of the ground, And you unearth it and you find a box and it's full of old bonds. And you realize that these bonds are very old and all of a sudden you are a potential millionaire. But you don't own that field. Technically, it's not your treasure. So here is this man who was walking and he found a treasure in the field. And Jesus has said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure in the field which a man found and he covers it up. It's not his field. He didn't want to steal it. So he goes and makes a rightful claim to this field by buying it. He doesn't tell the owner. He doesn't say, look, this field, I found a treasure. I want to buy your field. No, he keeps that under wraps. But he says, I want to buy your field from you, knowing that, it's going to, that it's, he's, there's a treasure on that field. And the text says, then he goes and sells all that he owns. Now imagine that's you. You find something so valuable, so amazing that you sell everything that you have. You put your clothes on Poshmark, you put it on the Park Church swap page, you put it on Facebook Marketplace. You have everything that you've ever owned. You bring in an auctioneer to your house, right? And they're auctioning off every piece. That's a pretty good impression, wasn't it? Like, no, not at all. It's terrible, all right? You're with me. 
and you auction off everything. And the neighbors are like, what are you doing? You're absolutely crazy. And you're just laughing. And you're like, yeah, I know I'm selling everything. Isn't it outstanding? And they're like, why? It's like, oh, well, it's a secret. <laughs> and they're just like, what are you doing? Your friends think that you're absolutely crazy. Now, the first person walks on a field not looking for a treasure and stumbles upon it. The second has come and has been looking for this treasure on a quest for it their whole lives. It's a merchant, a seller of pearls. They've been looking for the greatest pearl. And they come upon it and they see that this is exactly what they have been looking for forever. They're in the Pennsylvania aisle at the Brass Armadillo. And they walk down that aisle and they see what they've been looking for their whole lives. And it's more than they could ever afford. And they go home and they sell everything. And everyone's like, you're crazy. You've been working your whole life to acquire these pearls. Now, pearls would have been the greatest of value during that time because you just couldn't get them like we can today. They didn't have the equipment. They weren't able to gather these things. So there was the most valuable treasure around. And this guy found the pearl of the greatest price. And he goes and he sells everything that he has in order to acquire this pearl. J.D. Greer says, the value you place on something is shown by what you're willing to give up. If you notice in Jesus' story, this parable, it doesn't say that the man found the treasure and he added it to everything else that he owned. It doesn't say that he found this pearl that he'd been looking for for his whole life and he added it to his entire collection and it really cost them nothing. No, Jesus is saying in both cases, you can't just add the treasure to your life. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, Jesus is talking again to his disciples and he says this, If anyone would come after me, that is, follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Jesus says, you can't just add me to your life. That's not true Christianity. So if you come to church every once in a great while and you say the right things about Jesus but he's just added to your life and there's been no transformation, nothing has changed and there's no cost that has been given up at all at any point, Jesus says, that's not the gospel. If that's American way of thinking, Jesus didn't say that because America didn't exist yet, but in our context, that's an American way of thinking that if I just add Jesus like I add an app to my phone, then I am a Christian. But Jesus doesn't make it that easy because you're entering into his kingdom where he is king, where we submit to his rule. If we follow him, it will cost us everything. Now that sounds crazy. Would I sell all my possessions to gain one thing? That's why the apostle Paul, who had everything, all the accolades of the world, all the recognition, he says, I count all things lost for the sake of knowing Christ and being found in him. What you gain in Christ is far better than what you could lose. There's a key phrase that I skipped over here. 
I think it's the key phrase that, that joins together both of these parables. And if you don't look at this, this parable won't make any sense. It's the phrase, then in his joy. Did you catch that? Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has. These people aren't looking at it and going, well, I guess I'll sell everything to get this treasure. Oh, I don't really want to, but I'll give up my pearls in order to get the greatest pearl of all. No, he says he willingly was ecstatic, excited. Everyone said, you're crazy. And he's like, I don't care. I'm selling it all because of what I'm going to gain. It's so much more valuable. And this is when I'm in the season of dryness. I got to get back to this spot again of seeing Christ as my greatest treasure. You know, what's crazy is not giving up everything to follow Christ. What's crazy is me sitting on my phone for hours at night watching TV. That's crazy. And thinking that that's where joy is found. Not wrong to do that. But in comparison to say that's where its life is at, that's where things are found. No, that's crazy to spend your life that way. Jesus is calling us to so much more of being found in him. Do you remember the first time you heard the gospel and it made sense? Do you remember the first time that the gospel was good news to you? You didn't understand everything, but you said, all I know is I need Jesus. Your friends are saying, what are you doing? Why don't you hang out with us anymore? What's going on? You're like, I have Jesus now. I've, I've lost everything, but I've gained so much joy because of Christ. Now, daily living isn't always like that. It gets busy. It gets stressful. It's easy to lose our joy, but we need constant reminders of what we already possess. And that's what I want to do for the remainder of our time this morning is to remind you of the salvation that you already possess. I was going for a bike ride the other day. And uh, I was walking into my wife, and yes, I've reached a point where I start to wear a glasses strap. It's weird. I know. I never thought that I would do it, but I wore a sunglasses strap. And I walked into the house, and I said to my wife, I said, have you seen my sunglasses? I'm trying to get out on the road. I only have a little bit of time. And she says, you mean the ones that are around your neck? I said, yep, those are them. Put them on, walked outside, and jumped on the bike. They were in my possession the whole time. They were on my body, and yet I had forgotten about them, and I was the one that had put them there. You and I as Christians need constant reminders of what we already possess. So let me remind you with a few things this morning. I have peace with God. Do you know that? You don't, you're not born at peace with God. In fact, you're born God's enemy. But because of Christ. I have peace with God. God is for you. Did you hear that? God is for you if you know Jesus. Think about that. The God of the universe, he's on your side. You're on his team. The Holy Spirit is living in you. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living inside of you. And one day will raise your dead body from the grave into new perfection. That's true of you right now. I have purpose in pain. 
right now. The pain that you're going through, the loss, the hurt, there's purpose in it. You don't have to push it away or try to numb it. You can run to a father who gives you purpose in the middle of it. I have abundant life. I heard this illustration. I thought about it yesterday because at a wedding. And the couple was exchanging vows. And uh, what they didn't say when they were exchanging vows was this. I hereby swore off all romance. I swear off all love. And I swear off any kind of fun. I do. Now some of you are thinking, well, that's what it feels like sometimes, all right? But how awful would that be if those were the wedding vows? And sometimes, no, it's actually, it's saying, no, I am giving my life to another and I am going to dedicate myself to someone for the greater joy of that person. And when Jesus says, I've come to bring you life and life abundantly, he's saying, I'm actually calling you to a better life in following me. One that I am committed to your joy. He's offering you abundant life right now. And lastly, listen, Christian, you possess right now, not one day, everlasting life. Those who believe in Jesus will not pass into judgment, but they will pass into life. Now, this message is so glorious that an eight-year-old at vacation Bible school can understand it. And you and I, who are maybe who have known him for a very long time, can go deeper and deeper into it. When the angels sit around and they want to talk about the deep things of God, they talk about the gospel. They, they, they lean in, Peter tells us. They're so, in, they're so enamored by the gospel. They're like, what is this? I don't even comprehend this. This thing is so amazing. It's what you have if you are in Christ and you constantly need to be reminded of this because if you lose everything that is temporal for the sake of knowing Christ, you will gain everything of eternal value, the way life was meant to live. You'll experience what it actually truly means to be a human. What it actually means to live life the way that God intended it to be. This is a segue into our summer series that we're going to unpack together. Starting next week, we begin a series called Don't Waste Your Summer. And we want to help us as a church establish healthy rhythms that keep us in a place of remembering what we already possess and daily experiencing the joy of our salvation. It's going to be really practical about how do we actually do this in our lives and that when we come to the end of our summer, we say, that was a really good summer of growth in Christ because I intentionally went after him and we're going to try to do that together as a church by giving you practical and easy ways to do that. So my question to you this morning is, are you a polytheist? Is Jesus just another piece of your life? Is he just added on or is he everything? By being reminded of what you possess on a daily basis, that Jesus Christ is Lord, we gain it all. Tony Evans shares a great illustration where his daughter came up to him and says, Dad, I want a nickel. And he says, well, I don't have a nickel. Here's a 20. And she says, Dad, I want a nickel. And he says, honey, that's a lot of nickels, right? 
And so often, that's kind of what it's like. We come and say, I want all the things that I can get in this world. We're asking God for a nickel. And he wants to give us something so much better, so much greater of living in this treasure of Christ. Oh, that we would value Christ as our greatest treasure. If you're here today, this morning, maybe you've connected with this parable because you didn't even know that why you were here this morning. You just came because a friend invited you. And you just stumbled upon this message, kind of like the first guy did. And you've realized this is actually what I've been looking for the whole time. Won't you trust Jesus today? Exchange the things that you've treasured in this world and have them make more sense and give you them more value for an exchanging of a greater treasure, Jesus Christ. I don't want you to be confused here that salvation will cost you everything, but you can't buy salvation. It's for free. It's all by grace. And if you come to Christ and you turn from your old way of living and look at Christ and treasure him, you believe in his death and resurrection, he will save you. And you'll experience this joy that's spoken of here. But maybe you're one here this morning that's been searching and you've been looking at the arguments. You've been trying to make sense of all of these things and you've been looking and exploring different faiths for a very long time. I would invite you to see that Jesus is the greatest pearl, the greatest treasure. He's the one that you've been looking for. Won't you trust him today? I want you to see here that one of the most important words here is in his joy. Do you remember that? The writer of Hebrews in chapter 12, verse 2 says this, speaking of Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Did you catch that? Did Jesus enjoy the cross? I didn't say he enjoyed it, but it brought him great joy to endure something so terrible, so tragic because of the result of what he was enduring. That is obedience to his father and earning salvation for all who would believe. It was his great joy to do that. And he's committed to our joy if we see him as our greatest treasure. Let's bow our heads together. I just have a few questions for you. Maybe you're here this morning and you are the one that just kind of stumbled upon this and you realize you didn't even need Jesus up until this moment. If you simply trust him today, you'll be forgiven. You'll have a relationship with God and you'll have joy in this life. Maybe you've been coming and you've been searching and you realize Jesus is what you've been looking for. Trust him today. But maybe you're like me, believer, this morning. You're sitting there thinking, yeah, I I can relate to that dryness because I've been trying to add God to my life, even in the midst of other good things. If you this morning would just say, Brad, would you pray for me? I want to ask God that he would restore the joy of his salvation in my life. Would you raise your hand so I can pray for you? If you say, yeah, that's where I'm at. I need to have the joy of my salvation restored. Thank you. Let me pray for you right now. Father in heaven, the one that's here this morning, and I'm, I'm one of those, God. I thank you even last night how you've interacted with me in your word and gave me exactly what I needed. 
God, I pray for the one here that is just adding you to their lives. God, I pray that they would see you as their greatest treasure. That they would be reminded of what they already possess. And they would put you in the first place where you rightfully belong. Because you're committed to our joy when we find our satisfaction and joy in you. So help us to give up the earthly things that compete with you. And help us to feel the joy of knowing that we can actually experience life and humanity the way it was meant to be when you're number one and in the rightful place. May we be a church that treasures you together. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.